0: If I can make a point of personal privilege, I am excited to preach to you tonight. Try to figure out how to say what I want to say in a politically correct way, <laughs> but sometimes as much as I value the visitors that come and support us, I like it when we can just get together as faith church and... Uh, that unity that we have, that common bond that we have as members here of this local called-out body. And we can hear from God specifically what He has to say to us. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to worry about anything or anybody else. We can just simply hear from God for His direction, for His purpose at Faith Church. And uh, that makes me excited to preach to you tonight. Over the course of the last nine years here at Faith, I have been warned by deacons. I've been warned by good... Wise older people, I've been warned by elders uh, concerning wearing myself out, concerning burning the candle on both ends, and and all these things that uh, would be meant to try to caution me uh, to to kind of use my energy wisely, and I appreciate those warnings. Uh, But if I'm honest, I don't worry too much about wearing myself out or becoming worn down. Um, the best I can understand is that Jesus is going to come back any minute now. And um it doesn't seem like it would be all that effective if that's true, which I, I understand it to be true. It doesn't seem like it would be all that effective for us to try to live this life as a marathon. Um, instead, it it's a sprint. And um it might be a sprint that I keep running until I'm a 100 years old. And that would be okay. And I'll trust God will give me all the grace and strength that I need through that. Or it could be that he comes back here in the next 15, 20 minutes or so, or that he calls me home the next 15 or 20 days. I I don't know what his plan is. All that we've been given is this moment. And all I know is to give everything I got in this moment. All you know, or all that you should know, is to give everything you've got in this moment that you have right here. We're not promised another one. This is all we got. As far as I know, this is the last time we're ever going to be assembled together like this. As far as I know, this is the last occasion I'll ever have to preach. As far as I know, this is the last occasion you'll ever have to listen to me. And some of you would probably take that way too much as a positive note. But the reality is, is that we know that life is what? It's but a vapor. We're only here for a little while. And so let's make the most of the opportunity that's set in front of us when Scott was speaking earlier about being worn out to the flesh and worn out to the mind with the Spirit being willing, what struck my mind was what if God just needed to wear us out so we would we could reach the point that He could use us how He's wanted to use us all week. And if that's what it took, then so be it, O God. If You need to wear us out in the body that You can use us spiritually, then wear us out that we might be useful to Him. So tonight I want to take for a scripture reading here in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. I uh, read one verse and I'm going to read it uh, this morning. I'll read that again tonight, but reading it read it into some additional context. Uh, Romans chapter 8 might be my very favorite chapter in, in the Bible. I'm, I'm not sure of that. i would probably tell you that and then next week I'll tell you that again about some other chapter. Uh, but Romans chapter 8 is a good one. And, uh, I just want to read the first verse because I think it's noteworthy how this chapter begins. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Should have been a great big amen there. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You get that? We're not condemned. We have found, in fact, relief from our condemnation. What did Jesus say about that? Jesus said He came not into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world of itself was condemned already. But now we read that thanks be to God's grace, thanks be to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He has removed that condemnation from those that walk with Him. That's fantastic! there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is our call tonight. That we would not be here walking after those who would walk after the manner of the flesh, but instead that we would be those that walk after the Spirit. So Paul elaborates throughout this 8th chapter. That's kind of the, the front bookend. Uh, here as we as we think about this. And uh, you can read on through that. We know Romans 8.28 and that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to, uh, to His purpose. We read down about who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And he goes on and says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. What's that leave? I think he's covered everything. That nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see how he starts the chapter. You see how he ends the chapter. I want to preach to you tonight from the middle of the chapter. Where we see the connection as to why all these things are possible, why it is that there is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus for those that walk with Christ Jesus. When we look and we say that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, why can these things be so? Read with me here, beginning at verse twelve, Romans chapter eight. It says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors." Brother Scott talked about that earlier today about being debtors, and we've been made debt free by what Christ Jesus did in paying off our sin debt. So therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, flesh, you shall die. You must die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, you do put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many, listen to this, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, excuse me, that we may be also glorified together. I'm going to stop reading there, verses 12 through 17 of Romans chapter 8. We see that Paul begins in talking about being debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. And he goes on he says a little bit about that. I don't spend a lot of time here. I remarked on it this morning. But he said that those that live after the flesh must die. We see in the King James translation it says shall die, but what it's meaning is that they must die. If you only live your life according to the deeds of the flesh, you never come to know Christ Jesus, that you would live after the Spirit, you must die. Why is that? Those that are lost and in their sins are dead already. Brother Scott mentioned this morning about being separated from God. That separation is is that death. There is no life in you. There is nothing in you that would know to do good. You are lost and you are separated. And how we normally refer to that, how Scripture talks about it, is that you are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. You are dead as a result of the things that you have done that have caused you to be separated from God. It is your sins, lost friend, that separates you from God. Why must you go to hell? Why can you not go to heaven? You've got a sin problem. Sin can have no presence before a holy God. That should be encouragement to us who are saved to live our lives after the Spirit, to live rightly. You want God's presence in your life? So do I. Get rid of your sin. You want God's presence in the church, put to death the things that you would do that cause sin in your life, that when you come in, you might dwell in the presence of God. People come in and they say, well, I just don't know why God's Spirit would not be with us. Listen, if you've been messed up in sin all week, I don't know how God's Spirit could be with us. He is holy and He is perfect and He is righteous and He has no dealing with sin. But, <laughs> this is a, 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 a massive, this is, is the, the, that comma of grace that we talk about sometimes. This is that but that we look to as the hope of our reward in heaven. Because while it is that God has no dealing with sin, He gave His Son that He might win victory over sin, yes, but also over the consequence of sin. And that's what we get into here as we continue. He says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, think back earlier. He talked about being debtors, and he talked about those that are, are, are you know, doing these deeds that, that are after the, the flesh. And now he's starting to introduce this idea that he's going to go on and talk about adoption. He begins to introduce the idea that those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Then he says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We were debtors to the flesh once. We were enslaved to the flesh once. But we are no longer. What's the opposite of being in bondage? What's the opposite of being a slave? Now, your answer, my answer, would probably be, would likely be that it's to be free. It's to have liberty. But the love of God transcends what we would expect to be, that which would be the opposite of slavery or the opposite of what it would mean to be in bondage. Because what He's done, He's not only set us free, but He has adopted us as sons and daughters. Isn't that incredible? It would have been sufficient if all He had done was, was ransom us and set us free and we could go out and, and find a family to love us. But God did something better. He gave His Son to set us free. And not only so, but then He has chosen to call us His own. I have a heavenly Father. And He loves me and He treats me as His own child. I want you to to get that deep inside of you tonight. That you understand that in the depths of your heart. That God has not just done a work in you that you might have an ability to access heaven one day. God has not just done something in you that you can avoid hell and, and that you can be free from your sins. But God has done a work in you that you might be one of His. If you've been saved by God's grace, God, you belong to God. We call Him Lord. You know what Lord means? What lordship means? Lordship implies what? Ownership. He's bought us with a price. and We are His. He is mine. <laughs> We've been bought with the precious blood of His Son. So we have this spirit of adoption. We are... No longer strangers. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer His enemy. But we have been made one of His own. Think about what Jesus was talking when He was talking about prayer, and it's been quoted I think a time or two this week. If God's our Father, what should we expect? And I, I just want to insert kind of, kind of an editorial comment here. There are countless fathers in society that have dropped the ball on what it means to be a father. Men, that should be a calling to us to rise above that. That we would desire to excel in fatherhood. That we would be exemplary in how it is that we parent our children after the fatherhood of God. But as a result of how many fathers have failed their children in society, we see that society is a mess. If you look at the cause of of, of the the pregnancy statistics before marriage and all of these different things and teenage pregnancy and and promiscuity that, that runs rampant across these things, you can almost to a fault trace it back to where there is no father or father figure in the life of those young people. That's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. And I want you to know that my heart is saddened for that situation. I know the pain that that causes deep. And you see this especially with, 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 with young girls in particular because they go around trying to find some masculine someone to love them because they've not received the proper love from a father that gives us a wonderful opportunity as God's people to tell them that there is a heavenly Father. Hey, listen, we can't make up for what they don't have and a dad that shows a love and attention to them, but what we can do is point to a heavenly Father that is crazy about them, that has given His only begotten Son for them and desires to have a relationship with them that would transcend and be even more than the relationship that they could have with an earthly father. There are some of you tonight that I know can relate to that. that. That you've had strained relationships with your fathers. You've had no presence of a father in your life. And, and, and I'm confident that if I was to talk to you individually, you'd say the same thing. And you'd also say, But I have found the love of a heavenly father that is far more. Why? Because you've been adopted. And Jesus said something about how. The Heavenly Father treats those that are His. He's writing and writing. He's speaking. He's actually preaching about prayer. And He said this in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. He said, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If your child comes up to you and says, I'm, I'm hungry, can, can I have something to eat? You're not going to give him a rock, are you? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? You want to say, oh, you want some fish? No, here's a snake. You want to do that? Or if he shall ask of him an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? You want to say, no, no eggs this morning, only scorpions. He says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Again, we actually see later on in the book of Psalms, Psalm 84 verse 11 through 12 says, for the love, or excuse me, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. God does not withhold from His people. He supplies our needs. He supplies those desires even of our hearts. He sees that He does not withhold any good thing from His people. Isn't that tremendous? There is a God who is full of love for his children. And he doesn't withhold back from us. But instead sometimes it's like he just pours it out more and more, so much so that we just can't quite contain it. Be like a little kid walking through a toy store trying to hold a bunch of toys. That's what we are trying to hold the love that God has for us. God loves his children. He has given us the spirit of adoption. And as a result of this spirit of adoption, we can cry, Abba, Father. And I bet you probably heard a couple times about this word, Abba. It's an Aramaic word. And it's used only within families. Meaning, this word, Abba, is only used for children to call or to refer to their dad. It's probably the closest we would have from, from an Aramaic to an English translation of daddy. The other night, Mason had spent the night at our house and he was just calling people whatever Maverick was calling them. So suddenly, he had a bunch of grandmothers and a bunch of dads and all kinds of other things. It was pretty cute. But we know that he was just doing that. The reality is that Mason even understands he has one dad. One daddy, and it's Corey. The reality is that I have one person that I call Dad. His name's Kelly. Other people call him Kelly. Some people call him David. But I call him Dad. Why? because he's he's my dad. That's, that's my earthly father. He's not yours. You you kind of look silly if you call him dad. He's my dad. We call or have access to God in such a way that we can cry out Abba Father. Now I want you to just get a sense for for how precious how how reserved that name is in terms of the intimacy that we have with God as a father that Jesus used that same word when He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as recorded by Mark. That as, as, as Jesus was kneeling there in the garden, burdened and, and, and just overwhelmed by what it was that He was going to have to face on the cross, He was crying out to God and He said, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from Me, but nevertheless not My will, but Thou be done. The very language that Jesus used at His moment of passion, at His moments where we see Him battling in the garden, we get to use that same language. Isn't that incredible? Because we've received this spirit of adoption. Now, I want to say something about this spirit of adoption. We've got this kind of mistaken belief in society about adoption as though if you had a bunch of children, then you had a bunch of adopted children too, that that somehow your your adopted children would be like second class children. Number one, that's not true. should not be true in in, in the worldly sense. But it's certainly not true in a godly sense. Instead, what we know is that God has not merely adopted us as children, but He treats us as His children. We're going to read down here in a moment that if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. God had no problem when He adopted us as children in writing us into His will. Isn't that cool? (laughs) And He ain't going to change it. (laughs) He's not going to get mad at us and suddenly decide, Nope, that guy's not in my will anymore. No, he doesn't change. We have an inheritance from God because he has adopted us as his own sons and daughters and he treats us according to that love that he has for his children. He doesn't treat us any different. Isn't that incredible? We're not deserving of that. I want to make that real clear tonight. We are not deserving of that. It is by his love and by his grace that He treats us that way. So we have intimacy with the Father. Now, what do we know about children? I want you to know everything I've learned about children I've only learned here in the last eight and a half years. I didn't know a thing before I had children. Some would say I barely know a thing still. But I learn more every day. But children have a tendency to imitate their parents. That's just the nature of of being a child. They learn the words and the language that they hear in their home. Parents, you do well to speak words that are reflecting of the Lord. I hope you do anyway. But your your children will let us know what you sound like at home. (laughs) Your children will know what shows. You let them watch. Your children will reveal a lot about you. In fact, most of the time, I can kind of figure out, just by watching the child, what kind of spiritual life their parents are living doesn't take long to figure it out, does it? You spend enough time with kids. They're an open book. They don't mind telling you everything that's going on. (laughs) They begin to imitate their parents. Earlier this week, I was talking to Derek and Macy, and they had Henry. And I looked at Henry, and it just looked just like Derek. And I said, you don't even need a birth certificate for him. He looks just like his dad. There's no denying whose child this is. I look at Braley. And I say, listen. She doesn't need a birth certificate. It's obvious she's Brett's. We don't have to question this. We don't have to wonder this. Why? Because they look like the parents. This is the the nature of being children. And as God has adopted us, then we are expected that we would be imitators of His holiness, imitators of His love, imitators of His patience, that we would begin to take on that character that we see in our older brother. Because one other thing we know about children is that those younger siblings learn a whole lot from their older siblings. Why do you think Chelsea's so smart? She learned it from me. But the truth is, the reality is, is that we see those things being learned by the younger as they mimic and they try to imitate the older. This morning we had had an extra seat in the car, so Lila and Maverick had to sit next to each other on the way to church, and man, they were they're fighting like brother and sister. That's what they do, right? So we know a thing or two about children, and we are God's children. So it would be of good encouragement to us to begin to concern ourselves with how it is that we imitate Him, how it is that we reflect that love that He has for us, that we start to look like Him and to act like Him. Those traits end up becoming like our birth certificates. That when somebody says, whose child are you? We can say, haven't you seen how I live my life? I'm God's. (laughs) Who do you belong to? Haven't you seen by my behavior, by how I talk, by how I look? I'm God's. <laughs> I'm His child. <laughs> I belong to the One who created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Get this! My, my dad, my father, he owns it all! <laughs> Brother Scott quoted it this morning, didn't he? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He didn't even have to brand them. They're his anyway. S.M. Lockridge said that he didn't have to put a trademark on the songs that the bird sings, but he owns the songs. He owns the copyright. God owns it all. That's my father. He's awesome. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I'm sorry, I'm reminiscing a little bit here. When I was a kid, I remember I'd be down the streets and, you know, there was always these contests to see whose dad was, was strongest. My dad had told me one time that he could pick up a house. Uh, He he had me and Chelsea both believing that he could just go outside and physically pick up a house. And so me and all these neighborhood kids were talking about how strong their dads was and I was like, get this, guys. My dad can lift up the house. No, seriously, he told me he could. He said he he wouldn't do it because he'd hurt his back. He said he was afraid he'd hurt his back. But he said he could. And I believe him. Why? Because he's my dad and I was a little boy and I was his son. The reality is, though, is that our Heavenly Father is far stronger My kids think quite a bit of me. When there's a bug, when there's something they're afraid of, they don't go get their mom, they get me. When there's something that's causing them concern, causing them worry, causing them to fear for their safety, they come and get me. They think that I can take care of a lot of problems, but the reality is is that all that I'm relying on to take care of anything is because my Heavenly Father can take care of it all. He can dispel all fear. In fact, He's an expert at it. He's really good at it. When my heart gets heavy, when my heart gets worried, when it gets fearful, when it gets anxious, when it gets depressed, He comes on the scene and He reveals His love for me and He shows me the power of His might and He's able to bestow upon me His grace and His care. And suddenly what I find myself is I'm wrapped in His arms and I don't fear anymore. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) To know that kind of love. One other thing we know about children is that things become generational. If you think about different aspects of life, they tend to follow after generations. Lots of times you'll see a mechanic and you start talking to him for a while and you find out that his daddy was a mechanic and his daddy's daddy was a mechanic. Or you find it and talk to a lawyer and you find out that his daddy was a lawyer and his daddy's daddy was a lawyer too. In fact, a lot of times you'll see plumbing trucks drive by and they'll say so-and-so and... So, and Sons. You ever notice that. That's the nature of, of, of professions. We see this with wealth and poverty. There's cycles of, of generational poverty and generational wealth and these types of things. We see this with the faith. There's a generational track to the faith. How many of you here are, are second or more generation Christians, meaning that your parents were in the church or your grandparents? Most all of us. Isn't that something? That's the nature of how these things flow down over time. And so it is good then that we would reflect the generations of God. Because I don't just carry the Mobley name with me. I don't just carry my Grandpa Holland's name with me. But I carry the name of God. And He is far more important not to harm His name than any other name that could be given unto me. For there is none other name like His. There is none other name like the name of Jesus, is there? So we do well then to honor our heritage as one born through Christ and having received this joint inheritance with the Son. We're not slaves. We're children. How how, how is that different? How are slaves different than children? We want both to obey, right? A master wants his slave to obey. A father wants his children to obey. But the difference in how they obey—there's a difference in how they obey, isn't there? How do slaves obey? They obey out of force. They obey out of requirement. They are given duties to perform, and they must perform those by requirement. But meanwhile, children obey out of love. <laughs> My children are, are are pretty poor at turning off lights after themselves. And so a couple weeks ago, I issued this challenge, and I said, if you can turn off lights after yourselves every day for two weeks, I'll take you to Rascals. I'm not going to have to take them to Rascals till like November. Um, They just keep resetting the clock on themselves. But the reason that they would do that is they know the love that I have for them, and they love me back, and so they want to try to do these things. And, And all of a sudden, what I found, though, was that they want to be obedient unto me, and they see a reward for that one. But before long, Maverick was starting to create new challenges. And he's like, I'm going to create the put on my clothes in the dirty clothes basket challenge. I said, Yeah, you should do that. It's a great idea. Right? Suddenly, it just sparked some creativity in them of how they could be more obedient out of love. There wasn't any reward tied to those other things. It was just done because that's my child. He loves me. Children obey out of love. Yeah, cool. Some of you are like, My children don't love me. I'm not going to go there tonight. (laughs) I see too many kids smiling after that. (laughs) Y'all need to become more obedient, I think. (laughs) Anyway, so we express our love towards the Father when we obey Him. Church, we're called to serve God not out of commandment, but out of love. When you serve the Lord, when you obey God, you show back to Him how much you love Him. It is good for us then to serve Him. It is good for us then to to obey Him. Now I need to get to a, a couple of closing, closing thoughts. Paul continues. And he says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. And this is oftentimes misunderstood and we use it between ourselves horizontally in terms of how we relate to one another and that our spirits would bear witness together. That's not even the right frame of reference that, that Paul's referring to here. He is saying that there are two that testify of the adoption. Adoption's a legal transaction, isn't it? There must be those that would be witnesses and can testify. And Paul writes by the inspiration of God and he says that there are two that testify to this adoption. One is our spirit that testifies of the adoption. There is one that would know that what it is to have passed and to have been adopted as children. We see God, that He loves us and we love Him. And we see that noted in our hearts He has made in us a new creature. We've been born again. and We know then that having been born again, not after the second time as Nicodemus was confused and asking Jesus as if He was to re-enter into His mother's womb, but instead we've been born of the Spirit. And so we know then that we are sons and daughters of God for the Spirit testifies. The other Spirit then that testifies is the Holy Spirit of God. The third Person of the Godhead testifies that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. My Spirit and God's Spirit, they are in agreement. They've signed and they said that this adoption is final. (laughs) That's why we have received the Spirit. That it is the earnest of our inheritance. It is the down payment on what awaits us. It is God saying, you are My child and I love you. And to give you indication of that, here is My Spirit. And He'll dwell with you and He'll be with you. And He will have My presence with you because of this third Person of the Godhead. Isn't that incredible? We have the presence of God with us. Our Father's presence. Though He be on the throne in heaven, It dwells with us even now by His Spirit. And it testifies with ours that we are the children of God. We've been adopted. We've been brought into the family of God. Isn't that why we call each other brothers and sisters? We call each other brothers and sisters because we've got the same daddy. (laughs) We've got the same father. We belong together because we are His. Several years ago, I preached several weeks about Joseph and about his dealings with his family. You remember that? I don't know if you remember Joseph and his family in that account, but what you'll find is Joseph had a pretty messed up family. I mean, Joseph's family put the fun and dysfunctional, didn't they? I mean, they were, they were messed up. But you know why that was? I bet your family's dysfunctional. You know why I bet your family's dysfunctional? Adam and Eve's family was dysfunctional. Adam and Eve have children and one of them killed the other. We're dysfunctional by an inherited sin nature. (laughs) But our God, our Dad, our Father, He's redeemed us from that sin nature. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? (laughs) He has said, welcome to my family. There's plenty of room here in my house. said. <laughs> so I'm preparing it for you. Just waiting for you to get home. <laughs> Praise God to be a part of this family. Ephesians chapter one verse five and six that he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the loved. We have adoption through Jesus Christ. We have been made children of God, children of the Father. And if children, we've been made heirs. Join heirs with Jesus. Remember, He's not just adopted us, but He has promised to treat us as children. So what then? What then? The question must be asked, how do you get adopted? How can you receive adoption? Adoption isn't made by birth. I was born to my mom and dad. I've got a birth certificate somewhere at home that says Kelly and Karen Mobley are my parents. My children are born to me. We've got third birth certificates at home that says their parents are Derek and Tiffany Mobley. We are made sons and daughters not by being born in the flesh, but by being born again. You say, Derek, this family sounds like something I want to be a part of. And listen, I recommend my family to you. Uh. <laughs> There's not a better family you'll find on the face of the earth. I know reality shows have, have you know, just made all kinds of families famous. They can have their moment in the sun. <laughs> Our family's day is coming. <laughs> Do you know everybody in the world's going to meet my big brother? <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> They're going to stand before him. <laughs> He's coming back. to take me back to our Father. (laughs) I recommend this family to you. But to be a part of this family, you must be born again. You can't get there on your own. But we've received this adoption of the Spirit by the new birth. So sinner, you too can receive this adoption. If you would come to be born again, Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again. He says, that which is born of the water is that which is flesh. He says, but that which is born of the Spirit. The Spirit. If you want to receive the adoption of the Spirit, you must be born again of the Spirit. And He has invited all of us to be a part of this family. John wrote in the first of his epistles. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. God has demonstrated His love towards us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And then those that come to believe in Him would receive this new birth. And then having received this new birth, we would be called sons and daughters. Lost well, friends tonight, I want to recommend to you there is freedom from your sins. But what God offers is actually in fact far better than that freedom. Listen, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But where we find liberty is through the adoption that we've received in Christ Jesus. You can go back through the Old Testament. You can look in the 48th chapter book of Genesis. You can go forward to all the different places in John one, We see there John writing how this light has come into the world that we might be made sons and daughters of Listen to me, lost friend. God has made a way for you to be adopted into the family of God. He has made a way that you might become co-inherent or co-excuse co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that you might inherit what He has promised for us. He has laid up for us that which can't even be spoken of. The half hasn't been told about what awaits us in our Father's house. But what He has promised, is that where He's gone to prepare a place for us, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, He's done so that where He is, we may be with Him also. And right now, around the throne of the Father are all of His children, praising Him and glorifying Him because He is a wonderful and loving Father. And I recommend Him to you tonight. Brother Brett, let's get a song. Lost I want to recommend this family to you. And if God's dealing with you in some way, I want to encourage you to come and seek after Him. To come and seek after this spirit of adoption. To come and and, and plead that God would save you. Knowing that behold, when He saves you, you are born again in Christ Jesus. I'm going to turn the services back over to Brother Scott.